Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get moving with Maria. Inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life. Thank you for joining us for Let's Get Moving. Today we are talking about recovering from infidelity. And with me is Dr. Liz Hale. She is a marriage and family therapist. Dr. Liz, thanks for being here today. It's so good to see you. Dr. Liz, this is such a painful subject for anyone who has gone through some sort of betrayal Describe what happens to someone when when they are betrayed like this. It is absolutely devastating. It might be the probably the worst thing someone goes through, one of the worst things in, that they go through in their life when someone that they love the most, that they trust, has actually betrayed them. We we have a, a term called betrayal trauma. So think about oh, uh, a war hero, someone who's been at war, uh, one of our servicemen and servicewomen. And you've heard of PTSD, right? Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. police officers in the line of duty or firemen. That's very real, even in the area of infidelity recovery, Maria. So betrayal trauma where you, you can't eat, you're, you're startled, you can't sleep. Your whole life has been turned upside down. Things are not going well. You might turn to drugs and alcohol or food, anything, just to have the escape of that pain for a brief moment. Because it just infiltrates your whole soul. Right. But people do recover. People must recover. Talk about... That is the good news. People do recover, especially when they get professional intervention. It really does take not just a regular therapist. I am a little biased. It does take somebody specializing in marriage and family therapy, uh, family issues, and in particular specializing in infidelity recovery. Because we know through science that there are three, three three key steps. But let's just talk a little bit about what betrayal is, if you don't mind, because mm-hmm. it is such a broad spectrum, right? There's the the secret flirtatious conversations online to sexting to strangers to one-night stands to decade-long affairs. Right, varying degrees. Very much so. And it, it's all painful. But also I wanted to tell that our listeners that betrayal really is in the eyes of the beholder. What constitutes betrayal to me may be different than what constitutes betrayal to my partner. So we really have to understand each other and build safety in the marriage. Um, Other betrayals even could include hiding money or spending, viewing pornography or using drugs or alcohol outside the boundaries the two of you have established. Even uh, women going out dancing with their friends. It could seem completely innocent to her, but the husband might be very offended. Very hurt. So it's not worth doing something that offends your partner. The good yardstick I like, if my spouse were standing here yardstick, (laughs) right? Okay. Sometimes I recommend that. Would I be saying these words, doing these actions, texting these messages, if my spouse were standing right next to me? If they saw or heard me, would they be hurt? Or if the tables were turned, would I be hurt, maybe even crushed? If so, then a boundary has been crossed. 
I love that yardstick. Would I do it if my spouse was here today? Yes. So yes. now let's talk about recovery then. You bet. Because we know people recover even though it is pain, a painful process. Talk about the first key. You step. bet. And again, this is science-based therapy from doctors John and Julie Gottman, who really have put marital therapy on the map. It's because of them that we know how to make marriage work today. He can predict divorce with over 92% accuracy. Phenomenal. So there are three stages. Atonement, that's the what of what happened. The attunement, why? And then the attachment, where do we go from here? So the what, why, and where. So for atonement, the key here, Maria, is that the betrayer has to take full responsibility for the betraying. In other words, they take he or she 100% accountability for their missteps. There's no moving forward without that. In a sense, if you think of it this way, the person who was betrayed, they need to know that their partner's remorse equals the pain that was caused in that betrayal. And only then can you really step forward. True. No fingers are pointed, not anyone or anything. Let's say even the marriage did have some difficulties. It's not okay in that atonement phase to even talk about what needs to be changed in the marriage. There has to be that atoning, if you will. And then we move on to the second stage, which you said is attunement. It is. That's right. What happens in life is less important than what happens next. And that is in this very, very area of attuning. Now we can talk about why did this happen? What is it in our marriage that set us up for vulnerability? And John Gottman is really clear that if we are not connected, if we're disconnected at all, we are more vulnerable to outside influences. We're vulnerable to that betrayal and that infidelity. About 10 years ago, I had a couple sitting in my office, Brian and Carolyn, and I use their names because they've gone on Studio 5 and they've talked mm-hmm. about uh, his affair. It's probably the first time in my years as a therapist, 28 years now, where uh, on that first session, one of the partners um, admitted that they had an affair. He actually had an affair with her best friend. So I will never forget the pain right in front of me, Maria, of this woman just, just being crushed by the news that the two people she loved the most had hurt her. And I think even in that moment, Brian was really assuming he would move on with this other person, even though she was married. It was just a a tremendous mess, if you will, for lack of a better term. But fast forward to a client that I have today. He was very much wanting in his trying to recover from his wife's affair, general affair at work. He said, don't you know someone? Can I talk to someone who's been through this and lived on the other side of it? They've actually gotten through. So I had him email Carolyn and Brian. And um, he said to her, you know, will I ever be the same? Am I ever going to get through this? And Carolyn wrote back. She said, you know what? The whole experience was horrific, agonizing, and heartbreaking. I was betrayed by the two most important people I loved in my life, and they shattered my life. But she later added in this email back to my client, we learned to communicate in ways that may not have been possible otherwise. The affair according to Carolyn, was actually the best thing that happened to our marriage, if you can believe she said that. It was the catalyst for a very positive change in our relationship. Carolyn Bryan just recently uh, celebrated their 20th wedding anniversary. Terrific. And they renewed their vows Mm -hmm. in front of their close family and friends. And that, she said, was a final closure of that chapter for them. Isn't that beautiful? It's not unusual to hear people say that, that, you know what? In all actuality, it was the best thing that could have happened to us because it it was a wake-up call 
it got us back on track, back to building a marriage that we were proud of, that fulfilled us. Such an important point you're making here, Dr. Liz. Many people think, hey, uh, my partner has an affair. It's over. Yes. How often can couples really bring it together and come up with this more positive outcome? The majority of couples that get help do recover. They truly do. But there has to be a key element. Both parties have to want to do whatever it takes to recover. I don't always see that. And that maybe comes in the atonement phase where uh, the person who actually did the betraying admits they were wrong, kind of owns what they did. That's a key step. Each step is very key, actually. But that is, is crucial, right? They need to know that that remorse equals the pain that you've caused me. Um, But sometimes, you know, this uh, person I mentioned who wanted to talk to a couple, he's really having a very difficult time deciding to stay in the marriage. He's not all in. And now he's looking at his past with this, the wife that he has who had betrayed him. And uh, it was a short affair. And I don't say that to minimize it, Maria. It's just about the duration. You know, it was a brief affair for what he knows. And um, he just says, you know, I always told her that if you ever cheat on me, it's a deal breaker, which is just interesting dialogue. And most of us say that, right? If that ever mm-hmm. happened, I'd be out of here. Um, but now he's saying, you know, but she's a little angrier than I want through the years. And she wasn't really that interested in me sexually. It seemed like he actually thought that she was lesbian. He just hmm. came to the conclusion. What? Yeah, I think she's probably lesbian. And then what came out even then more... <laughs> um, In addition to that is she said, well, you know, the first time that we consummated our marriage, I wasn't really thrilled how that went down. You seemed to not even pay attention to me or my needs, and I never spoke up. So they had many, many years of not speaking up, many things that went unspoken. So you add that to the affair, and it makes it even harder to recover. Right. I'm doing the best I can to try to help him to look at this big picture But it it doesn't look very encouraging because of where his mindset is. And that's something all couples can learn from this discussion is communication is key. Communicating those things that aren't maybe necessarily going right in your marriage that do upset you and not waiting till the partner's not faithful. Exactly. That unfinished business really haunts us. The, the last step, of course, is attachment. And that makes sense that that is probably we're talking about a sexuality here, um, Any act is forgivable if you allow it to be. That's really what it comes down to. The need for trust grows both directions, right? The betrayed needs to give assurance that trust is building. For instance, um, the other night, someone in the session, uh, she turned to her husband and she said, you know, and he had had an affair. She said, when you walked away from your phone, you walked in the other room, I wanted to grab it and madly scroll through it to see any appropriate conversations you might be having. But then I realized, you know what? I don't need to do that anymore. I'm past that. And it was such music to his ears that all the atoning he had been doing was not for naught. It was re- actually building trust again. We often say that seeing is believing, but I think the opposite's also true. You know, believing is seeing. Do you see your partner not only recovering, but recreating itself into the partnership you've dreamed of? So you see your partnership recovering and, uh, and rebuilding that. Carolyn also mentioned in her letter um, that she learned to be empowered and not a victim. She had to discuss the non-negotiables with her husband, Brian, and he did the same thing. So in that attachment phase, you really are renewing and rebuilding. Be open to the fact that sexual intimacy may look different on the other side of infidelity. Um, Redefine lovemaking so it's fulfilling and safe for both of you. Be present with what's happening in yourself and in your partner and between the two of you. 
Also, and I think in this phase, Maria, it's really important to create new shared meaning, setting goals that are meaningful to both of you, like paying off a mortgage or saving for a child's college education or traveling abroad and creating new rituals. For instance, maybe every Saturday morning you make blueberry scones and you sit outside and watch the rain or the snow or the sun and you just enjoy that. The good news is that a new and improved relationship can be accomplished and your commitment could be richer than ever. Not because of the affair, but because of the work done to make marriage number two better than marriage number one ever was. Right. Really, number one, marriage, the first marriage has been obliterated. You know, it really is, I think, reasonable to think about starting fresh. A new line in the sand, and now we have marriage number two. And then bottom line, we really are stronger in the broken places. Think about this when a, when a bone breaks and then it heals. The scar tissue is actually of a stronger constitution than the bone itself. Eventually, a marriage can heal in the same way and emerge even stronger in the broken places. And I would imagine it is incredibly important while couples are going through this process, what they communicate to others can really be a deal breaker as well. You bet. And I, you want to be very careful who you share that information with, right? Because long after you as a couple have recovered, people don't forget Sometimes I like to remind us. So be very careful who you let into that circle of confidence. Be wise. Go to a therapist, ideally. Leave family members out of it. And if you have done um, some disclosing to other people, go do the repair work. And then once there is that forgiveness and we've reached the end, you can't bring it up over and over again, right? That's part of the whole process that you go in rebuilding and starting anew. That's so true. Yep. I think that's the commitment that you both make is we're in second marriage now. And perhaps part of us were responsible for that. Of course, in the atoning phase, there's only one person responsible, and that's the person that betrayed. But oftentimes it takes two of us also, right, to get our marriage to a point where we're maybe we're not as strong as we'd like to be. So I hope that makes sense to our listeners as a tone, a tune, and attach. Dr. Liz, thank you so much. 